0: Hello and welcome back to the Interplass Insights Podcast, I'm Dave Gray, and first of all an apology, I know it's been a little while since we published an episode of the podcast, Uh, the reason for that is we've been super super busy doing lots of different things, so as you know next year is the 75th anniversary of Interplass, which means we have got a lot to get ready in terms of making that a really special celebration lots of new features lots of things that we'll talk about on future episodes of the podcast one thing that we can talk about right now is the new zone that we're adding to the show floor into plus which is the contract manufacturing zone so uh what this is is a well i mean it's fairly self-explanatory it's a zone for contract and trade molders and um contract processes for other plastic conversion but it's kind of coming together under the theme of reshoring so the more people I speak to the more that I'm realizing there's been this resurgence in interest in reshoring. Really since since kind of the height of the pandemic um, supply chain started to break down for people and it's, um, it, it, it's, it's really interesting because you know a few years ago reshoring was, was kind of a hot topic and then it, I feel like it kind of um you know that ran its course and then now it's it's kind of had a seems to have had a a reinvigoration as a result of of people realizing that um, how fragile the supply chain is and so we've been speaking to lots of trade and contract molders and other other types of contract manufacturers over the last few months just to find out more about their experience and find out how we can help them into PLAS so Um, There's going to be lots of content on the conference stage at the show around contract manufacturing Um, and hopefully we'll be hearing from some of the leaders in the field so watch this space. That's one of the things we've been working on. Aside from that, we've been traveling a lot so we've attended the PRSE show in Amsterdam, met with lots of key suppliers into the recycling industry. and learned a lot about recycling as well and it's just a really important moment i think not just in the uk but across europe where where taxes are being implemented left right and center around the use of of recycled plastic so uh, yeah really good time to talk to people and find out more about their challenges and we've got some great content coming up on the podcast linked to that so again watch this space But for today's episode, I met with Sean Champion, who is the managing director at Talisman Plastics, and Mark Lawson, who's the managing director at Sierra 57 Consult. So, Talisman Plastics, a trade molder based down in Malvern, and Sierra 57 uh, is a a recruitment company for the plastic sector. So, really interesting companies. went to speak with both Mark and Sean, together, recorded an interview with them to find out more about uh, the skills gap, about what's driving trends for contract manufacturers and what reshoring means for them at the moment and also their their latest news and developments for for both of those companies. They've both got some exciting things to announce. I should just say that uh, we, we recorded it in Talisman's facility and there was a lot of background noise so apologies for that, I've tried to clean up the audio as best I can. Um, but yeah you'll hear doors opening and closing and things so um, apologies for that but all adds to the authenticity so without further ado enjoy the podcast Sean, Mark thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today Sean it's good to see Talisman Plastics and see what you guys are, are all about I believe it's maybe one of the oldest companies in the UK is that right for injection molding
1: Yes, we originally LG 12 was before we rebranded about three years ago, um, which was established um, in the early 1920s. So we believe we're in our 99th year this year, so it will be 100 years in 2023.
0: It's blasted to celebrate a big birthday in 2023 as well, so it'd be great to see you on site of the show and you can celebrate some of those, some of those big milestones as well. Um, cool, so tell us a little bit about Talisman now, how it looks today, what are your key markets?
1: A key market in terms of trade moulding, uh, which we turn, is the automotive, electrical electronics and fluid movement. Uh, three key markets for us in the future, um, automotive obviously at the moment is reasonably caught compared to what it was, but we're sure that pick up, um, electrical electronics continues to grow, which is good, and the fluid movement um, is a couple of opportunities being created for us and that will grow certainly over the next two or three years. And have you
0: noticed a bigger influx of of business as a result of reshoring?
1: There has been some reshoring. Uh, but uh, a lot of customers you speak to said, yeah, we would like to bring it back into the UK, uh, but they will only do that if it's uh, at a lower cost or price, mm. um, which is, is a challenge because it's still cheaper to produce uh, mouldings in volume in the Far East. Mm. Uh, albeit You've got all the problems associated with trying to deliver them on time. Um, but I think... As things progress, hopefully the UK will become closer to in terms of costs, and opportunities will increase. But in the moment, yeah we've had a couple of opportunities, but not as many as I thought we would have.
0: Yeah. we have seen growth in recent years. so what what does that growth kind of looked like and what have been the drivers for that?
1: Uh, a couple of drivers for it. Um, well, we've done particularly well in our own market, so we've got two proprietary product ranges. one is caps enclosures and, and the other is clinical waste sales. Both of those markets have done well in the last two or three years and, and given us growth. Um, in terms of technical moulding, we, we've gone for a big change in terms of the market sectors we service and the type of work we're involved with. And yes, growth is coming out of that in our chosen sectors, but that's obviously weighed against work which we're taking out of the business, which isn't in our chosen sectors. So yes, we've had growth, but... On paper it doesn't look as much as it actually is because we've taken business out as well put business in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and what's been your
0: strategy for um, modern, coming back to the conversation we were having earlier about your uh, capital investments what's been your strategy for modernizing the business and um, keeping things efficient
1: uh, well the key part Any injection water business I believe today should be focusing obviously on efficiency. Uh, You want to be competitive in the markets you're in. Um, For us, it's very much about um, new machinery in terms of capital equipment. Um, We've purchased three injection water machines within the last 12 months and we're just about to purchase a fourth one. Uh, At the same time, we've got rid of the older, less efficient kit. So our average cost uh, of producing uh, a moulding has been driven down over the last two years and continue to go down, uh, even with power costs going up. The, it's been quite surprising and impressive what machine manufacturers have done in terms of reducing the energy consumption for new machines. Yeah. Uh, particularly when you compare it to some of the oldest machines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's obviously, that's not the only investment that you've made
0: recently. You've invested in some new staff and some training. Um, so a lot of conversations that i'm having recently are with people in the industry are focused around the um paucity of skilled um skilled potential employees skilled candidates how did you find recruiting
1: uh recruiting has always been a challenge uh, and i think that's partly down to location uh because we are in the beautiful wall hills which um you know whilst it's a nice place to live uh, the population locally is lower than where it would be somewhere like the middle of mm. Um so our catchment area is relatively small. Um, I think in terms of people with the right skill set and experience, it's been particularly challenging in the more senior roles. Uh, but we have uh, made some recent recruitment uh, and have been successful in getting the right people. But in the shop floor jobs, uh, we're trying to be a bit more flexible and actually get involved with training, developing people mm-hmm. um, and giving recognition for that development. So we have a grading system which uh, operators can work their way up, uh, which recognises when they've improved their skills, uh, etc and I want to come back to the training in a moment but um to you now uh Mark obviously
0: recruitment is kind of your bread and butter I guess and yeah. um and what would you, what would you say about the current state of play in the UK
2: um yes I used to say that uh, in recruitment if it was like looking for a needle in a haystack then post-covid it's, it's like, like looking for a, a needle in a field of haystack <laughs> uh, there's a lot of a lot of change. and it was. Uh, it's everything uh, really related to mental awareness, people's uh, attitude and uh, application for for wanting to to move or to better themselves. But some people, well, a lot of people probably in the industry throughout the UK are sacrificing their desires to further exceed or develop or move up the ladder, and rather make that compromise and looking after their family and. You know, applying mental awareness and common sense and mm-hmm. because of COVID. COVID is still around, and if it's not COVID, it's you know, a, a extra variance or, or, or some kind of bug is floating around. If anything, over the last two years, of what we've practised within manufacturing is we need to be more vigilant around our people, more sympathetic and empathetic, and support people returning back to work, proper inductions for returning them back long COVID or some kind of violence uh, that has impacted them or their, uh, their nearest family. But yeah, recruitment, uh, there are people still moving around. They're looking to excel within their careers. Uh, and and yes, there is still a steel shortage mm-hmm. um, for reluctance of moving around. But also recruitment at the moment is in massive demand uh, for people uh, and also for getting the right people. Um, which is one element uh, is why we looked at a lot of our customers, like um, Talisman Plastics and, and, and some similar, is that while they were struggling to attract the people in the front end and they needed, they had that big demand in their production area to support uh, on time in full processes with their customers, uh, we invested in a, a mould training arm to look at upskilling um, some of the people on the back end of the business to actually help reduce that that hole that was appearing in production, uh, manufacturers' you know, core, uh, which was you know, causing and creating you know, many, many problems and obviously um, imposing more demand on their own people and putting through overtime, but there's only so much overtime. You can put somebody through, you will burn them out. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a wicked, wicked cycle. So it's trying to find solutions uh, that you can help your people, retain your people, and develop them, be supportive of them, uh, and not just wait for people coming through the front door. And what does the mould training arm sort of offer? Um, that's what,
0: what, what, what would its USP be?
2: So, you know, the mould training arm that we set up, was we, um, when it was set up, we sent our questionnaires to um, about 150 of our customers, asking them, if we set up got involved in training, how would you like that to be designed? Um, what is it something that works as a as a comparison to some really good mold trainers that we have out in the industry uh, but what could be um, designs bespoke for them or or, or better uh, in a way that helped them out uh, as opposed to the normal uh, classroom attendance which they still serve very good training courses uh, we're here to As a uh, an additional training arm within the business, we're not here to replace anybody. But one of the main areas that they did like is that they wanted they wanted a trainer to come and train their people on their site uh, with their machine tools, their mould machines, their materials, also within the familiarity of their plant, uh, which is obviously both health and safety and confidence around the training. But um, additionally, we wanted to add that because everything was about mental awareness and attitude, we wanted to be able to put place our trainers on the same shift pattern as their trainees, as the people they wanted to train, so that they could uh, embed and receive the training and and, and not be impacted by tiredness or change of shift or something like that, Mm -hmm. which has worked out well. So, we, we are. Uh, currently on our box training, uh, working with uh, 57 uh, manufacturers, injection molding manufacturers, and, and that is growing because of the demand for empowering and developing their own training uh, from within, from the bottom end. That was initially, that's what it was there for, skill the bottom end, but now middle management and team leaders want to know more about injection molding processes and how to best uh, empower their own people. So it's, it's really helping, but a lot of our work is yeah. on shifts and even on weekends.
0: And Sean, I presume you're one of those 57 you've used, is it the materials uh,
1: module that you use here at Talisman? Yes, yeah, we, we've uh, had one of our um, technical setters train through Sierra 57, uh-huh. uh, which was very successful. Um, and I believe we're going to go for other training periods, but... Yes, you yes. and to add that you had you had 40 people go through a uh,
2: materials training course, so the, a better appreciation of the materials, but also, you know, the breakdown, um, the characteristics. Um, so yeah, and and how better to understand plastics going through talismans, uh, machining processes. So yeah, but that was low, you know the lower end people to give them a better understanding, and to identify if there's any of those people who wish to develop further. Okay, and the last
0: question on the training side. Um, start with you, Mark. Is absolutely. skills gap getting better
2: or worse? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a very very good question, <laughs> um, and uh, I'd like to say that um, you know, a lot a lot of businesses are really taking it seriously that they need to uh, to be able to retain their people and to um, optimise productivity is that they need to look in-house and look at training. They have to train their people. They've got to train these people. At the moment, there, there, is, there is a high percentage um, of, of people in the UK in plastics are, are 50s and above. Mm-hmm. And then there is a massive gap around like that, and then you've got the younger people coming through. So if we're going to be training people that are going to be you know, tomorrow's engineers, training has to be now. It has to be now and it has to be done properly. Not you know it needs to be vetted and planned wisely, but strategically planned over the next five years. Mm-hmm. Go forward. It must be. And you, there's lots of great training companies out there. There's lots of great grants to be taken, you know, to take advantage of. People need to get onto that right now. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of traits, especially in the injection molding side. There are some great training bodies out there who are and you know, on hand straight away to train these people. Mm. But now is the time to look at it, and not, not just, oh, uh, just wait for it. You know, great, great support by, um, uh, we're on the skills and uh, development council and BPF. You know, the BPF is behind this. We really need to get on board, all customers, massively, to really, uh, to really uh, show due diligence and appreciation of galvanising these young men and women coming through the industry. Mm. Um, but it's not just the young people who, need to, uh, who can capitalize on the training. It's older people. I'm still learning. Sean's still learning. You know, we'd learn from the elements coming through. Modernization, digitalization, 4.0 automation. This wasn't around when Sean and Hyde were of these young kids' ages. But,
1: you know, it's,
2: we need to take it on board now.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Sean, your thoughts? <clears throat> Well, as Mark said, um, you know, it is important we train people and develop people, uh, particularly younger people, because they're the future uh, in terms of this particular industry. Uh, we noticed it here that we had a predominantly older age group of people mm. um so it's essential we build into the business uh, some younger people uh, and now we're getting quite a good balance between older young and both can learn off each other uh, you know there's stuff which the older more experienced person knows and there's stuff which the younger person knows the older person never come across um so i think it's very much a two-way thing but yeah training whatever industry you're in is important because uh, you want the best people we want to be able to compete so we want people who can do the job well of course brilliant um Moving quickly on to uh, plastics tax.
0: Now, um, Sean mentioned earlier that you've been, you've already been impacted by plastics tax. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and about the journey that you're on going forward with that as well?
1: Yeah, for us, for us, uh, certainly the single-use plastic uh, packaging tax, uh, our caption closures business uh, came under that. So it means for every uh, tonne of material we process, we've got to pay a £200 tax to the government, Uh, that obviously we pass on to our customers. That's had some impact on the market, more noticeably making people more aware that there's an issue with using plastic because they've got to pay a tax on it, so how can they avoid it? Well, we all know there's two ways they can avoid it. One is uh, obviously not to use plastic in the first place, which we don't want because we will produce more products, but the second is to use a minimum of 30% recycled material content within the product. Um, That is something which we're we're working on. It's not practical for all our caps and closure products because some of them come into food contact, so obviously it wouldn't be practical. Uh, Others need to be a certain colour, and that becomes more difficult to get a recycled material that colour. But what we have done is we've tied up with a number of companies in the UK who can provide recycled material, uh, and we're going through a series of uh, sampling processes to really look at, how we can optimize the use of it within our product range. Um, two, save our customers paying the tax and to make sure we're competitive in the market because some of our competitors will be offering products which obviously don't uh, have to pay tax on. So we, we've got to have all the solutions we can. Uh, it's become more, more important for us as well because um, as demand for recycled materials has gone up, it's been more difficult to get a hold of. And one of our key products within our clinical waste seal business is the Envirolog. Which was made from 100% recycled material. And um, We struggled to get hold of enough material to service our market. So um, it's good to see a number of material companies now offering uh, recycled material. And hopefully, over the next two or three years, there'll be a lot more recycled material available in the market because people become more aware of it, will recycle more, more people will invest in recycling, and it will generate more material overall. Brilliant. Um, and finally,
0: you have just uh, mentioned about. Uh, you applied for ISO 14001. Why and um, how has that been for you? Why was it important?
1: Um, important for us, 14001, but I think it's important for the industry. Um, plastics has had a lot of bad press over the years, um, more about its impact on the environment. But 14001 uh, for us is all about looking at our waste streams, looking at how we could be more efficient, looking at the processes and systems we have in place to control and minimize waste. That's got to be a good thing for any industry, but particularly for the past industry um i th- I think you know as people are becoming more aware uh and certainly the the bigger potential customers in the market. One of the things you must have as a prerequisite is 14,001 to be able to actually quote for the work in the first place. So it's important from that point of view, it's important from the the fact that you need your business to recognize where the problems are in terms of waste streams, etc. We've spent the last 12 months building up for our audit, which is actually happening this week. Um, We hope we will be recommended for a certificate within the next two to three weeks. Um, and it's not just a case of getting a certificate on the wall, it's a case of then maintaining those systems and processes to minimise your waste and improve yeah. energy efficiency.
0: I think that's really important for anyone listening who's maybe um, sort of new to the industry or sort of uh, dip, kind of dipping their toe in with the industry, um, is is that the plastic sector, it does have, um, you know, mainstream media it has, a, a, unfortunately, a certain reputation, um, which is, I think, gone just because... Uh, plastic manufacturers are inherently uh kind of greeny type people in that resin that they treat resin as a very valuable commodity it's not a cheap thing to buy so nobody wants to waste it anyway so i think there's a really important point i think it's really good that you're you've kind of taken this extra
1: step as well yeah I, i think plastic is part of the solution not the problem yeah and we just need to think differently Uh, and get a lot more positive press about some of the good things about plastic.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's no longer kind of a cheap, cheerful material. It is an extremely valuable commodity. Um, Mark and Sean, thanks very much for talking to me, um, and hope to see you both for Interblast.
2: Thank you. you. Love to see you.
0: Thanks so much again to Mark and to Sean for speaking with me. Really great to speak to them both and get their take on things. Coming up in the next episode of the Interplast Insights podcast, we'll be hearing from Professor Michael Shaver at the University of Manchester, who I spoke to about a project that he's worked on with his team. They've developed a product which could help solve some of the traceability and supply chain headaches that come with incorporating recycled content into your packaging. So stay tuned for that. Until then...